help but think about this story. Because Stephen, if he was not a man of faith, all he would have seen was a crowd in front of him that was angry. That's it. He would have seen a people that wanted to put him to death. But because he was a man filled with the Spirit, because the Spirit of God opened his eyes to behold wondrous things in the law, he was able to see the heavens opened and he saw God sitting there and standing beside the throne was the Son of God, Jesus himself. And that's significant. Not because it got him out of trouble with the mob. It's significant because it helped him persevere in the midst of great difficulty. And so his faith was sustained. And so right to the moment that, to, right to the moment as the, 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 the stones are coming at him, he says, Father, into your hands I commit myself. I'm yours. The very thing, the very person, the very belief system that was causing him to be stoned was the same thing that he was willing to die for right to the end. But not only that, he was so transformed and changed by the vision he had seen, by the Jesus he had believed in, that at the end of his life he was filled with the same grace that Jesus was filled with when Jesus on the cross says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Stephen does pretty much the same thing. Lord, do not hold the sin against them. You see, Stephen saw a greater reality than what you and I can touch or see. Jesus saw the truth because the Spirit of God opened his eyes. Now I say all of that because I think in Hebrews 10, in the book of Hebrews, you have a people who are going through persecution. There are people who have suffered and will suffer. They are a people who have lost property, we're told. They are a people who are, are, are discouraged and, 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 and getting down on things and are, and are thinking of returning back to the Jewish faith, going back to where they had started. And the writer of Hebrews wants them to see and behold truths that are real, that will sustain them. The writer of Hebrews wants these people to understand and to know and to behold good things and realities that will keep them anchored. So with that, let's read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. For since the law has has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. 
for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he had said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until, the, until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Lord, would you graciously open our eyes to behold wondrous things. Hebrews chapter 10. Did you catch that first verse? For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same it, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Last week, and I think the week before, we talked about how the tabernacle or the tent or the temple was a, a picture of the, re, the real thing in heaven. Okay? And now our author actually expands that and he says, since the law has but a shadow. And so now he's actually saying at least the very first five books, and I think the entire Old Testament scriptures he's pointing to here, is actually a shadow of the good things to come is actually a, 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 just a hint of, of, of a greater reality, a truth named Jesus. Not only Jesus, but as the context will show us, Jesus and what Jesus did. So his work on the cross, specifically. But then you've also noticed in this text, not only his work on the cross, but his resurrection and his entering into the, into the holy place where he sits at the right hand of God. Those things in the past, they, 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 weren't, they weren't bad, but they, they actually pointed to something better. And what I would like us to see this morning is I would like us to see the reality of what Jesus, who Jesus is and what Jesus did, but bigger than that, well, not bigger than that, but out of that probably is a better way to say it, 
that we would, we would see the consequences or the fruit or the reality of that, how it affects us. Now, not completely. Hebrews is going to be unpacking that a lot and has been, but I want us to notice three things at least that Christ's work accomplishes for us. And I think these are significant. I think we want God to open our eyes to behold what he, what, what's going on so that, so that in the difficulties of life we will be able to continue to walk. Okay? What are those? Let's, let's simply, we're going to just break this, this uh, chapter up into four sections, verses 1 through 4. We're just going to walk through it. And as we walk through it, I want us to take a look at the Old Testament, how it didn't, how it didn't, it didn't, it worked, but it didn't work. It didn't, it didn't accomplish the end. But then I want us to notice three things out of these chapters, uh, out of this chapter that um, change us, okay? Verses one through four. See, the old law and all the sacrifices that they would do every year, once a year, the Day of Atonement, they would offer this sacrifice, and, and, and then they would have to do it the following year. And he says, the same sacrifices are continually offered every year. What can they not do? They cannot make perfect those who draw near to God. They, they can't do that. And, and secondly, notice in verse 4, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away the sins. Not only that, in verse 2, it would no longer, it, it, it cannot... It, it would no longer have any consciousness of sins. It, it cannot deal with, with the inner part. We talked about, about, about that yet last week. It cannot deal with the, the purity of our inner being. And so, so our author is saying, those sacrifices, they just, they just don't cut it. They don't cut it. They don't make perfect those who draw near but then notice in verses 5 through 10, consequently, some of your translations will say, therefore, or by the way, when Christ showed up, when Christ appeared, when Christ entered this earth, when Christ was born, when Christ stepped into ministry, when Christ came into the world, verse 5, we're told this is what Jesus said. Now, you cannot go back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the story of Jesus, the Gospels of Jesus, that tell us the story of Jesus, and we cannot find a place where Jesus actually said the words that we find in verse 5, 6, and 7. Okay? But our Hebrews author says that Jesus said these things. But if you go back to the Old Testament, particularly Psalm 40, you see David saying these things. And remember what Jesus said in John 5, 39 and in Luke chapter 24, that all of the scriptures, all of the Old Testament does what? Points to him. So there's a sense where David is saying these words, but there's another sense that the Spirit of God, that Jesus himself is saying these words through David about himself. 
Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Not only did David say these words in the Old Testament, but we hear Samuel say these words to Saul. We hear we hear the prophets say these same words in Jeremiah, Isaiah, Hosea. These are, these are common words in the Old Testament. But this particular quote's jumping straight out of David's mouth from the Psalm 40. And when he says sacrifices and offerings in verse 5, and then in verse 6 he says burnt offerings and sin offerings, he's actually tying, not just, he's not just talking about that one day, the day of atonement, he's now talking about every sacrifice that was meant that the people of Israel were supposed to take. So the burnt offerings, the peace offerings, the sin offerings, all of them. David and Jesus is lumping them together. And and, And he says, God never desired those things. God never took pleasure in them. Strong words. Strong words. Because isn't it God who commanded these things? You can nod your head because he did. He took no pleasure in them. He he did not desire them. And and you stop to go, okay, so what was the point? What was the point that that um, the people would bring in a dove or they would bring in a lamb and then they would offer it and, and they would, we talked last week but it was literally a slaughterhouse. It would be blood pouring from Jerusalem because so many animals day after day after day after day was being slaughtered. In fact, at the end of the day when they slaughtered the lamb, the, the priest was already preparing the next lamb for the next day's morning slaughter. And, and the idea was this blood that was flowing from the bulls and goats was impossible, could not take away the sins. And you can imagine, just as you're about to, the priest was about to slaughter one lamb, he probably has to deal, get, deal with another lamb because he's already sinned in his mind. Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, God never desired, never took pleasure in them. to hold it. What, what, what was the point? The point was to remind the people that they needed a Savior. The point was to continually remind the people that there was nothing that they could do to save themselves. The, the point was, and we will sneak peek up to up ahead to April, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through faith, though he died, he still speaks. You see, it wasn't the sacrifice, but it was a, a faith in God. It was an obedience to God. It was a trust in God. God wanted their faith. God wanted their obedience. So Jesus, when he came into the world, not only says sacrifices and offerings have you not desired, but then he says, but a body have you prepared for me. What body is he talking about? His body. And then he says in verse 6, you have taken no pleasure, 
then he goes, then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. Now, when David wrote these words, I think David had every, every intention to do the will of God, but did he? Not completely. Jesus says in John chapter 4 that he only does what he sees his father doing. In John chapter, five, verse, uh, John chapter 6, verse 38, he says, Behold, I have come to do the will of my father. When he comes to the, to the foot of the cross in the garden of Gethsemane, he cries out, he says, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus, from the point he enters this earth to the very point that he dies, he completely did what God had intended. He did the will of God. He obeyed the Lord. An obedient servant. An obedient son. then in verse 10 he says and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all I want you to see that word sanctified if you write in your Bible underline it okay one of the things that the Lord has done for us because of his work on the cross is he has sanctified us what does that word mean a priest in the Old Testament. In order to, to do his duties for the day, he would go through some ceremonial washings to be cleansed, to be purified. It was a symbol of what he, he had to do. He would, he would offer a lamb for his sins, a, an offering for his own sins. Uh, the, the, uh, the priest would, would then meticulously do everything he was required to do in a, in a particular manner before he would enter into the temple. And, and then his offerings he would do in a, in, in a very prescribed way this, that, that was given to him and recorded in, in the Old Testament. This is how you do it. If they didn't do it, it would be like Aaron's sons who were killed on the spot. They were consecrated to the Lord. They were sanctified. They were set apart for God's purposes. And now Jesus says in verse 10, and by that will, by his obedience, we, the author included, have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So because Jesus goes to the cross and dies in our place, and because Jesus obeyed, obeyed what God had said very clearly, we who have faith in him are sanctified, we're set apart, we're made holy, we're cleansed, we're purified. Go back to verse 2. Otherwise, would, not have the, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins? That, that cleansing that we see in verse 2 that couldn't happen because of the Old Testament sacrifices... That cleansing occurs because of what Jesus has done. We've been sanctified. Verse 11. Take a look at this, verses 11 through 14. Our author carries on, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. 
our author just wants us to see that the Old Testament, although it was beautiful and although it points to something beautiful, is inept at saving us. But when Christ, verse 12, had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. And what the author wants us to see, that in the old temple, in the old tent, in the old tabernacle, there was all kinds of furniture, but there was no chairs for those priests. When they were there, they were working. Day after day after day after day, they were sacrificing and slaughtering these animals. But when Jesus entered the temple, that is a picture of the temple that was on the earth, we're told he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. Why? Because his work is finished. Complete. Done. Now, keep following in these words. He sat down at the right hand of God, verse 13, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool. His work is done. He's simply waiting. Not that he's not doing anything. He's interceding on our behalf. But he's waiting for the time when all things will be made right. I think when Stephen saw that vision of Jesus beside his father, he goes, you know what? Whatever's going to happen here, God's going to make these things right. And may God have mercy on these people because if they don't repent, they will bear the wrath of God. And I think our author in Hebrews wants us to see that Christ's work is finished. But look at verse 14. For by a single offering, a single, Jesus only had to die once. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Do you believe that? If, if, you're, if you've put your faith in this Jesus and the work of this Jesus, the text has already told us that we have been sanctified. We've been cleansed. We've been set apart for his purposes. We have been made holy. And now it says to us that we have been perfected. That word perfected is an important word in the book of Hebrews, but it, it has the idea of reaching the end or reaching the goal. And so he says we have accomplished the goal. We have been, we, we, we've been, we, we've arrived in a sense. And why? Because we've done something? No, because of that one offering. Because of Jesus' death. We've been sanctified and now we have been perfected. I'm going to try to help us understand that at the end, but hang on to those two thoughts. We've been sanctified and we've been perfected. Now, he says something intriguing 
he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now, didn't he say we are sanctified? He did. But now he says we are being sanctified. So there's a sense where, where we have been made holy, we have been cleansed, we have been washed, but there is a sense where we are growing in that. There's a sense where we, we are, as those who put our faith in Jesus, we are who we are, but there's a sense we are becoming who we are. And at the end, I'll try to bring all this together. But hang on, we've been sanctified and we have been perfected. And, and then in verses 15 to 18, I want you to notice one other thing. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying... This is the covenant that I will make with him. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he, that's the Holy Spirit, adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Now the last couple of weeks, we've looked at this very same phrase taken from Jeremiah 31. So again, it's Jeremiah who wrote these words, but our author says it's the Holy Spirit who wrote those words. Our, our author has a very high view of Scripture. In other words, God spoke these words through Jeremiah. And, and Jeremiah is promising a covenant, a, a something that's going to come about that, that is far greater and far richer than all the Old Testament sacrifices and, and far greater and far richer than the necessity of a temple on earth. Instead, I'm going to put their laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. This is the covenant I'm going to make with them. You see, the, one of the problems with the Old Testament law was it had no power. Back in the country, southern Alberta, not far from where Dad lives, there's a stop sign that doesn't work. Uh, it just doesn't work. You, you, you go through that intersection, it does not make you stop. I, I, I've tried it s several times. It just You're just driving, and you look both ways, and no one's coming, and there's nothing. No one has come for 20 years, but there's a stop sign there, and that stop sign doesn't work. I'm being facetious. The law has no power. Now, I might stop out of fear that there might be a police officer there, or maybe I'm stop out of fear that there might be a car coming, or maybe I just stop out of fear because I need to answer to God. But the law has no power. But the new covenant has a power because he's written his law on our hearts placed it on our minds. If we put our faith in Jesus, not only because of his sacrifice does he, does he, does he radically sanctify us and perfect us, but now he gives us the ability so that we can grow in sanctification, so that we can grow towards that end goal. 
here's one more thing. I said three. Let's give you four. The last verse, what does it say? What's ours? Verse 18. Starts with F. Someone shout it out. Forgiveness, yes. Forgiveness. Remember, the, the old law, it could not remove sin. The old law in verse 3, but in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. Constantly, it's like, oh yeah, I'm a sinner. Oh yeah, I need, I, I need forgiveness. Oh yeah. But because of Christ's work, there is forgiveness of these there is no longer any offering for sin. In verse 17, he says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. It's, it's, it's like what I did yesterday, God has forgiven. Because the work on the cross. But it's as if what I will do tomorrow. God has forgiven because of his work on the cross. It's astounding. Astounding. I said I'd try to pull it together. I like to buy flowers for them. I, I just like that. Um, I've been doing it for a long time. It took me a while to actually do it because at first I thought, why would I give her this dead thing that's going to die? Because they're already dead, right? You cut the thing off. And, so it just didn't, that didn't make sense to me on the front end why I gave Lynn flowers that in a week you're just going to throw away. To me, that was a waste of money. But then I began to see she took pleasure in it and she enjoyed it. And so I began to enjoy it because she enjoyed it. But over my time in buying flowers for her, there's a number of times when I was in the store grabbing a flower where somebody, either a customer or the person I was purchasing it from, said something like, um, well, you're trying to make something right, aren't you? Or, uh, or what did you do? And a long time I realized that flowers aren't going to fix whatever I did. It just That just ain't going to cut it. You see, if I said something harsh to Lynn, a flower is not going to take that those words back, are they? And I say harsh things to Lynn. A, a flower is not going to fix it. A flower is not going to purchase what I've done wrong. A flower won't do that. And so I, I need to go to her and I need to apologize. But you see, when, when I say a harsh word to Lynn, I've actually said a harsh word to somebody who was created in the image of God. And according to the scriptures, that if I say raka or fool or you idiot, and I, ha I don't think I've ever called them an idiot, but I've said things, some pretty harsh things. According to what Jesus says, I'm actually guilty of murder. I've actually, I've actually... I've actually slammed the image of God. And so I'm guilty of breaking God's law. So not only have I said a harsh word to Lynn, but I have broken God's will. Broken his commands. 
and the flower is not going to cut it. It ain't going to fix it. In fact, I can do a whole bunch of good things, and it's not going to fix it. There's a, there's a, a theme through our society that, that we are, we are, we're trying to fix things. You watch movies, right? Oh, I did this, but if I do this, that will redeem me somehow. But there's only one thing that will redeem us. There's only one thing that will fix this. It's not the Old Testament sacrifices that the Hebrews wanted to go back to. It's the work of Jesus. That's what will fix it. His work brings a forgiveness of sins. His work brings a perfection. Not because we're perfect, but because He's perfect. His work on the cross brings a cleansing. His work that he, he did on the cross and is now entered into heaven and sending his spirit it, it puts the spirit of God, the word of God, the law of God in, in us. His work makes those things right. And what the author of Hebrews is simply trying to tell these people and remind these people is Put your faith in Jesus. Consider Jesus. And what the author of Hebrews is trying to say to us is put your trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I don't know if there's anything else that really matters. It, 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 does it, Lord, does it really matter that tomorrow I, I've got a job to go to? I thank you for the job we have that we can go to. But Father, what really matters is whether I'm in right with you. And Lord, thank you that you gave us a way so that we could be right with you. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ. And even though he was in the heavenly realms, he stepped down and became a man, Lord. Thank you. Thank you that he willingly went to the cross on our behalf. I thank you that his body was prepared as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. My sins, our sins, thank you. I thank you, Father, that three days later, death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him. But, Lord, you raised him from the dead. Thank you. And Father, 40 days later, he ascended into heaven, and now he sits at your right hand, and the work is done. And Lord, I pray that you'd give us eyes to see. Would you take this kind of old, rugged, kind of choppy sermon, and, Father, would you graciously use your word to cause our heart to be overwhelmed by our love for you. Open our eyes, dear Jesus, to behold wondrous things through your glorious work. In the name of Jesus, I pray.
every week we gather around the table. Not because we put Jesus back on the cross, but because we remember what he's done. And we say thank you. So if you're a follower of Jesus, if you know Jesus as your Lord, if you put your faith in him, I, I encourage you to come and join us 